0: Alan, there's, there's no doubt First, I 1st want to thank you for all the information I've received. Um, my voice is probably just starting to to open up and there has been a lot of taking and all and, and trying to figure out where where this is exactly we're dealing with. Um, it always seems to be that if you get into a philosophical discussion, that uh, the justification of a nation that comes back to the days of Plato and the Republic. It seems as though so in, that was around 350 B.C in uh, a city in, in Egypt, Heliopolis. Heliopolis, from what I understand, is the first place of the obelisk, the obelisk is being something that's you know, staring up in the face all over the place. Mm-hmm. The the um, so how do you see that as being sort of maybe a position in time where the conversion of knowledge began to take place and now, you know, I'm going to take that in the past and now look into sort of the present events and extrapolate from uh, they just raised at the Denver yeah, International Airport God of Death um, for the Egyptian uh, uh, in the last month or so, and you know that. Air-
1: Well, what we know about Egypt is that um, they ruled a good part of the ancient world for an awful long time. And Egypt uh, had varying different kinds of priests uh, specializing in certain areas. They had their own secret rites, of course. They had their different layers of writing um, that only initiates could understand. Uh, And they also truly believed, just like today, that um, the, the, the the right for those to rule was in the blood. It was uh, hereditary, and that's why sometimes even pharaohs would marry their sister, to keep this special whatever it was within the family lineage. Yes, I'll, I'll just get off that for a minute and say uh, Prince Charles recently came out and said he, w- he believes now that God put him on earth for a purpose to save the world. I'm not kidding me. This is in the British papers today. But uh, uh, so back in, in, in Egypt's time, uh, you had millions of slaves really all, all over A huge uh, enterprise of many, many countries that were taken over All slaving for a small elite But they also indoctrinated the peasantry Into the fact that the, the eye of Ra was all around them All seeing, it's like the eye in the sky It's like satellites today And they had the, the peasants believing that if they tried to run off Then this all seeing God would know they were going to do it Know where they were and psychologically, in other words, they trained them that they couldn't even escape. Um, whatever came out of Egypt is so interesting because the, the biggest export of Egypt was revolution. And Pythagoras went there to train uh, and, and study. We know that uh, Plato went there. Uh, many of the, the, aristocracy, the aristocracy, aristocrats in Greece went there for their main education uh, Plato was initiated into the, the mystery religions, he said. Uh, we have the writings of Herodotus too, who talks about being initiated into them. He gives a bit more in his writings about it in his histories. And um, we know that they went on from there to uh, uh, possibly uh, the Middle East to the next place for the next bunch of degrees. And their final destination was India, of all places, Uh, for even higher degrees. So you understand there was a mystery religion definitely existing uh, way back then in Egyptian times. And uh, they exported people like Pythagoras, who rather than going back to Greece or Athens or Attica, uh, they went to a Greek colony in what now is Italy, and and it was called Cretona. And he set up his school, and his school... Um, was burned down by the people eventually because they realized uh, that his purpose was to train the youth to overthrow the, the adults the elders to bring in a, a new system and that 's where they burned down his school uh, but what 's so interesting too he he used a technique that was later used by the Catholic Church uh, he had five years of secrecy um, and quietness and silence where you studied and listened, but you didn 't speak before you're brought into the inner sanctum. Uh, the same thing you'll find with the Essenes that really came from Egypt into the, the Middle East around Jerusalem, but 2,000 years ago. The Essenes had the same technique, uh, the same rituals, and they had also had a lay organization who were not allowed into the inner group, uh, yet to be single, unmarried, to begin into the inner group. We find the Catholic uh, uh, Brotherhoods eventually took that in as well, some of them specialized, like the mystic monks of Franciscans down through the ages, and secrets were kept for, for them as well. Uh, they were all specialized in different areas. And there's no doubt about it that down through the ages the mystery religions have come. But their main thing was revolution. We find the same thing with Socrates, who studied in Egypt. He came back. Uh, he was the first one to openly bring women in as well, young women. Uh, beautiful women too, educate them, but with the precise intention of getting them married into the to the ruling elite and then with the intent of following instructions and trying to get their husbands to change their minds on certain policies and manipulate their husbands. This was found out again, and that was the real reason that he was tried in court um, for trying to overthrow the state by using the youth. It actually said corrupting the youth and the morality of the youth as well. Uh, From there, you see it popping up again in Alexandria, about the 3rd century AD, under Neoplatonism, where even lesbians were teaching this in in, in Alexandria. One of them was a a well-known teacher who did gross things in front of her students because she was pretty well like a humanist today, existentialist. And when one student asked her about was there any point for marriage, etc., she literally, uh, during her monthly cycle, pulled out a rag and says, this is what you're in love with, and threw it at his feet. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I would expect today in some universities, actually. But it was happening back then, too. They were trying to to um, destroy everything that was beautiful, that people wanted, family life, that type of thing, to bring in what they thought was a perfect, ruled, ordered society, even back then. And they played their hand down through the ages. And then they broke out uh, in Paris uh, under the guise of Rosicrucianism. At uh, the, the time that pamphlets all over France. The one thing they, they let them, them know uh, to get members in uh, was that they had uh, knowledge of, very good knowledge of medicine and life extension. That was to track people in. I don't doubt they did have uh, advanced knowledge because they—they they were knowledge is never lost, especially knowledges that help the elite themselves. And we know today, for instance, that the, 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 the medicine that the public have available to them uh, is really, to me, it's antique as to, as to what I've found out that they really have for the extremely wealthy. Uh, they're way beyond everything, even growing organs for the wealthy from their own stem cells. Uh, they've been doing it for quite some time. The public won't get access to this kind of stuff. Um, but you've had revolutionary groups down through the ages all working towards to bringing in this particular uh, society. Now, a lot of them, too, in the higher societies have always believed, as I say, that they are higher masters. Reincarnation was a big part of it during Blavatsky's day. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundation... Um, funds, still funds the Lucifer Trust today used to be called the Lucifer Trust uh, down at the Rockefeller Plaza the UN Plaza I should say, that's where it is uh, they run the United Nations Meditation Room and they believe that only the right breeding with the right people can produce the right spirit to, to run the world they believe that those who don't have selective breeding or their wives chosen for them through lineages and who are interbred they believe they have no soul that's what they've said and therefore there's no problem about killing people off if they have no soul. Is
2: the the religion arm of the United Nations, is that the order of the Eastern Star?
1: Uh, That's involved in it for sure. Eastern Star uh, really came out uh, from the Grand Orient Lodge of uh, France. Uh, The Scottish Rite of Freemasonry did not begin in Scotland. That also came out of the Grand Orient of France as well. Uh, the, the, The Grand Orient of France takes a godless position. That's what they say on the one hand, but on the other hand, they've got a, an, another higher religion, and they don't mind accepting reincarnation of special people. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's definitely you know I think it's one of the, uh, the pieces of the propaganda. It's just metaphysical sort of um, spiritual world that's offering a bit more than what is probably reality, and I think that's an easy one for people to jump to. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the, the threat of the aliens you know, what how they relate into all of this because you can see this, you know, the mass propaganda mm-hmm. has definitely been underway for years in the movies and whatnot. Um, are we I guess in in Plato, you know, if you try to go back to where the first stories of Atlantis were, it was also from Plato and uh, with the conferences from Solon and are we heading towards a conceptual Atlantis or is that something that's the past because it had technology? To into it, and my best guess is that we're sort of heading there um, in the future, maybe it did happen in the past, but in the whole sense of geomancy, um, and the 19.5 degree hot spots, the bio vortices, that sort of thing. Um, what is your take on Atlantis? Is it really was probably my invitation that going in way deeper and finding out a lot of about ancient Egypt and whatnot flowers-wise? <coughs>
1: What I've found often, uh, it's double-edged in a way, double-edged, because often they'll give you an allegory in the brotherhoods of ancient times of something that they wanted to create in the future, but they'll always talk about it as though it already happened in the ancient past. That was a, a favorite trick. However, we do know... Um, that probably the, the whole legend of Atlantis came, and it all came through Plato again, through his uncle, his great uncle, at S- at Solon, who went to Egypt to study. And supposedly, uh, the Egyptian priest said, you Greeks don't, don't even know your history, you don't even know how old you are. And they mentioned that great civilizations had risen and fallen over many millennia, and that they were, and they vanished. And Atlantis, of course, that's how they got onto the story of Atlantis. But um, what we do know is that uh, there was a massive uh, island, a very big island in the Aegean Sea, and it did sink about uh, maybe 500 BC. Uh, We know that for a fact because uh, Jacques Cousteau, who is another New World Order guy, he did uh, a very good video series on the excavations on some of the islands. When a volcano comes down in the middle, uh, and burns itself out, and it sinks uh, under the sea. It leaves the outer perimeters of little islands that used to be the edge of the whole big island. And you have that in the Aegean Sea. One of them is called Terra, one of these islands. And what we do know is that people lived um, who did have... They weren't as advanced as, as, as they make out today. They, they did have hot running water and plumbing going to every room. They had baths and showers. But uh, that doesn't surprise me, because even the Harappans, who lived pre-Sumer, also had the same thing. and uh, uh, Even earlier, maybe 6,000, 7,000 BC. But we do know there's been a trading group, a trading group, this is the key to it all, down through the ages, who've lived in different spots of the world, always running trade. And those who lived on Terra, or this big island that was called Atlantis at one time, were the the ones who ruled the the ancient world's trade centers. They had massive shipping fleets. Even today, uh, during excavations, they've found whole lists of their their ships that they owned and boats right down. Very organized society with clerks and so on. And every room inside, when I've taken the lava structure off, was hand-painted with frescoes, beautiful frescoes, Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rooms like this, and they haven't finished excavating this one little part uh, that was a, of an outer island that was part of the, a big mainland of one big country at one time. That's what's thought to be Atlantis uh, that went down. Uh, these people obviously... Well, we do know, too, they got off the island in time and went somewhere else because they knew it was coming. They had weeks, in fact, to prepare for it, and they evacuated the island. Um... Where they went from there, we were not quite certain, but they certainly still had their fleets of ship and they still had the, the trade routes as well. Uh, it's possibly it's possible they became the Phoenicians, and the Phoenicians are just the Greek term for the Canaanites, you know. So uh, there's always been a big trading group down through time who've wielded incredible power, who also eventually brought in monetary systems. Money is the key to all rulership because with money. And since everyone on the planet runs on the thing called money, which most take for granted, you can put, you, you can get any professor into any university as a top dog if you give a grant and say I want this condition, and that's what they've been doing. They've been putting all the top CFR members in universities for many, many years, teaching the children along a certain agenda, etc. Money's the key to it all. But uh, in ancient times, you find more about the wars of Sparta as to what was going on then, because. These ancient money uh, traders who also lent money to countries uh, would put these countries into massive debt and then come in, just like the IMF comes in today, to manage those countries. They then take the armies of those countries and, and use them to fight other countries who hadn't taken any debt out at all. Sparta held out for almost 100 years against them. They refused to go into it, and they coined their own money from iron. Uh, very tempered iron. You couldn't split it or, or cheat on it because you couldn't break it or file it down. Uh, but uh, they used iron just to, just to try and keep their independence. They knew what was happening, that a people even back then were bringing in a monetary system in, in order to dominate the peoples.
3: Yeah. Um, let's bring us back into the, back into the future here. Uh, one of my... One of my guests here would very much like for you to explain the United Nations, how the United States is tied to it, where those strings go, and, and, and really how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, why why are we so tied to it? Where, is, it is it money? Is it, is it uh, just the corporate
1: structure? How, how does that work? It's all of that. It's money, corporate structure, everything. Uh in the late 1800s, when the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs was on the go, uh, they set up and the Milner Group, by the way, at the beginning of the CFR was 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 made up of international bankers like Milner, Lord Milner himself, and uh, they put their sons out and other, and, their, and and relatives out as agents. They were a spy agency as well, and they were they set out to take over the resources of the world in at the time of Cecil Rhodes. And they were taking over the resources to own the future, to own the century, in fact, to own the 20th century into the 21st, because for their own sustainability, so that they, being the right people to live and breed and all the rest of it, had decided under eugenics that they should have enough for their children to survive long into the future, but also with the intention of bringing populations down. They funded the organization to start bringing the populations down by using global governance. And what they did was they created the League of Nations. They financed the the League of Nations. And they got President Wilson, who was the greatest guy of all. He really, you know, went along. He was managed by Colonel Mandel House in the US. It was an honorary title he got. And Mandel House worked, he was a member of the CFR or Royal Institute of International Affairs at the time. He took his orders from Lord Grey, L. Grey, who was another member of the Royal Institute of International Affairs for World Government. And uh, so they thought by forming the League of Nations, they could set up the embryo of a world government. Now, it it was set up immediately with the Department of Population Control, exactly as it has today. It was set up with a, a World Health Organization department because they wanted to start inoculating people, but they also wanted to start aborting people, too, what they called the wrong kinds of people across the world, so that they would not overbreed. And they set up every possible, um, they they mimicked every department you have in your federal government for a world government. In fact, all our building codes come from the United Nations, which grew out of the, the League of Nations. But they also said, and, and H.G. Wells was a big part of the propagandist for, for the Institute for international affairs. He said, "We need a world war to get this going." So bingo, they had World War One. And then he said afterwards, he says, "We hoped that the countries would would give up their sovereignty because of this terrible war, but they're not ready. We need another war." And sure enough, during World War Two, and the the newscast that they gave out for the cinemas, the movies. Uh, you know, they started calling it the United Nations forces for the first time. America, Britain, and so on, they called them United Nations. And they formed the United Nations. Uh, There's going to be a more powerful League of Nations with the same branches contained within and a lot more too. So the on the one hand, uh, using secular humanism, and UNESCO, UNESCO was to bring in the world educational system for the whole world, standardizing education for every child on the planet or indoctrinating them. But first giving them a form of um, uh, existentialism or secular humanism uh, to break their, their, their old religions from them, to get rid of that. And once that had happened, it'd be another generation and then introduced the new religion, which, of course, is the Gaia-type theory and earth worship and how we ought, we're all here to serve the whole. The UN itself, remember, is, is U and N, as French for one. And so uh, everything since World War II has come via the United Nations. All the treaties, etc., have come through the United Nations. And in 1946, I think it was, in, in San Francisco, uh, every country attended this, that signed the documentations and the charter and agreed agreed right there. It's in the charter um, that uh, they would have to give up sovereignty or a certain amount of sovereignty for world peace. And it had to be a type of world government that would that would come into it uh, that would make the, that would manifest as a certain type of world government. Now everybody wants peace. We all love peace. We know what the communists meant by world peace. They meant absence of all opposition. That's how Stalin explained it. Uh, it's very similar to United Nations. Peace means all opposition uh, to their mandates and their doc- their doctrines uh, to bring in this world community where they want to rapidly depopulate the world, make sure that only the fittest to survive come through, Um They've already put third-world countries into incredible debt, which they'll never recover from. They've already helped kill off a lot of people in third-world countries by their free inoculations. They sterilized millions of people by giving out free tetanus vaccines, which were not tetanus at all, only to women in India and Africa. They admitted that, by the way, on CBC Canada.
3: Yeah. Was was HIV uh, uh, similar, starting
1: with vaccination? I have no doubt on that at all. In fact, the, the, the World Health Organization gave out a mandate to, for sterilization, not sterilization, for small, free smallpox vaccines, it was. They started in Haiti and then went on to Africa. And you can follow them, uh, the outbreaks of AIDS from Haiti, right through their whole trail, right through Africa, where they went, yeah. vaccination? I don't trust it at all. Um, Just by studying, and I did this scene when I was young, I studied the the health of of previous generations, and I studied all the statistics, etc., what they had, and I found out that my own generation were coming down with all kinds of new diseases, and crippling diseases. I noticed they didn't have half the energy that previous generations had. Um, the cancer rates skyrocketed after the polio vaccine came out. Um, Doctor Sock was uh, hailed as the great hero, and then it was then of course it was disclosed that uh, that the hundreds of live monkey viruses or simian viruses, as they like to call it were put in to every shot given to people for the 20, 30-year period. And the same 40 virus was uh, in there too. And the 40 virus, even today they say, it's the most virulent cause of cancers. That's its only function. It's a, a virus who, which only causes cancers. And, of course, that whole age group are all dropping dead with cancers, you know. Uh, Dr. Salk is an interesting guy because he belonged to the American and the British Eugenics Society. He was one of their main writers on radical and drastic depopulation and sterilization. And yet he turns around and becomes the champion to help people by giving you these polio vaccines. Well, yeah, right. And so, but believe you me, when, when the wolf uh, comes dressed to you and nice clothing, he's still the wolf, and I don't trust these characters at all. We've been taught to neglect our natural instincts by the media. And believe you me, if a man comes out talking about the, the need to mandatory sterilize millions of people, uh, or kill them off by any and all means possible, and he comes out to give you something that he wants to stick in your skin, where he knows it's got killer viruses in it, then terrible crimes have been committed here. But they've been authorized crimes because above him, obviously, uh, they're all institute and the UN, etc., knew all about it, and they're all for it. The UN has been caught out, as I say. They, were, they gave all these free tetanus shots out. Uh, they, were, they were weaponized. They carried something straight to the ovary, and the ovaries of the women got, got massively inflamed and, and then were dead, literally dead. And they came out and admitted that on CBC television. And uh, when questioned by an interviewer, these two guys standing in front of the map, at the United Nations says, "Well, we have to do it. If we don't do this, who is going to do it?" That was re- that's what that's all they said. Very arrogant guys too. Yeah.
4: Here, um, I, I have to break in. I, I really, really appreciate you. Um, I'm 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 wondering um, a couple of years ago. I, uh, Christmas
0: time, I think it was, picked up a uh, beautiful instrument and played it. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying um, that, you know, please excuse me if I, you know, like, I can pick this up in some time. But I just, I guess I wanted to switch gears because all this very heavy, you know, subject matter is um, also very important. Um, I also uh, just wanted to let people know, and I thought maybe you could, um, maybe let us know, um,
4: if we could
1: ever hear you play, play one of your shows or... Uh... Yeah, I, I might do... A, I used to do albums and I might do an album again. And uh, I used to travel the world doing concert tours. Um, But I, I gave it all up really, to do this because I knew... I knew we're in the middle of the worst war the world has ever experienced. And I couldn't just sit back knowing what I knew and without coming forward. No one spoke about eugenics and depopulation before I came along and, and, and gave them the histories of who's involved. And it, it's, 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 I'm so happy that so many folk have taken this and run with it because...
4: You're know. you growing in, in um, you know, importance in, in everyone that... that, I mean, that for anyone that's in the that room or that cares about you, I think um, that everyone would very much appreciate... Uh, more. And, and I know that I personally appreciate all this of you, but I just wanted to kind of let everybody also know that you're a brilliant musician. And maybe you can't divulge, but I know I heard tell that you played concession music back in the 60s. I,
1: I played uh, and wrote songs too for big gr- groups and singers and um, and also played live on stage at time with them. Uh, Especially the first few times after I'd I'd written their stuff for the studio until they got the hang of it themselves, yeah. Mm -hmm.
4: Well, um, I'm going to just again say how much we appreciate you um, giving uh, your time and effort. Because we all know you're give something for uh, money, I guess you're But you're a good man and thank you so much. I'm going to let.
3: Thank you, Alan.
1: Thanks for, for talking to me. Yeah.
3: Well, you have some fans here, definitely. Um, listen, I, I want to give you a chance to uh, tell people, uh, I see that on your website here that you have your 2010 uh, a course in deep programming. Mm-hmm. I think that's very, very very important. Uh, why don't you just give us a rundown of what you have on your website, what you've written, uh, some of the things, uh, especially your radio show, which you know I I personally just absolutely love listening to you. So uh, yeah, just tell us about your, your your website and your things for sale.
1: Yeah i I wrote uh, very quickly too. I wrote um, a couple of books there and, and put actually three the uh, first three and then put them into one big book eventually and, and another one too to do with ancient history uh, to show you the progression of especially of the money system up down through the ages from ancient times and how they brought countries down by using money and took them over and uh, um, used debt even in ancient times to the present the same way as today um, I've also got lots of discs of, of the shows I've done. Sometimes it's 40, 50 per disc. Cause some, I don't know how these long these websites are sites will stay up. One day they'll just pull them, you know, with a law that will be passed and boom, it'll be gone. Um, so it's good to, to get these discs out there for, for future use. But, um, and even, even today I, I, I love, I've got so much I'd love to churn out in books, but I never have time. Cause the, what I'm doing here and answering mails during the day and searching for the latest, uh, uh, laws that are passed and stuff. Literally, you start at eight in the morning, you get back into bed two or three the next morning. That's every day and that's generally seven days a week. Uh, the money is, isn't, doesn't flow in like, like crazy. If I had time, I could certainly churn the, the books out to go even further with people. Um, but I show you in the books how to deprogram by, in very, by your reading process alone, you'll find that parts of your brain start to wake up. They've been kept in a linear mode for so long because you've been trained that way, uh, and and uh, you start to see things differently, many angles on the same thing at the same time, and it's like becoming alive again uh, when your your mind starts to start to race off in itself. You understand things, you enjoy the experience as we should enjoy the experience of having most of our minds working, and um, you see through the cons and the tricks instantly of the things that are coming down. Uh, you understand for the first time and I show you too uh, a lot of the coding that, that has been used in the past and is still used today because the big boys love to use symbols and coding even in the mainstream media as they mock us and laugh at us and leave messages for the other elites to to watch yeah. Can I voice? I, I, you
3: know I, I had this idea I was gonna ask all of the speakers and I just totally blew my mind but uh, if you had a top five book and even documentary or movie list what what would that be for my audience that they should read that they can understand all of this
1: stuff i think they have to understand uh the philosophies number one uh, everything came through the philosophers you know the that were meant to change whole eras and generations of people um, and how they've used philosophers to do just that, bend their minds, etc. And how the, the, the philosophers are tied in, especially since the days of Hegel, with Hegel. And how uh, National Socialism in Germany and Communism in, in Russia were really one and the same thing. They, were, they both had, in fact, they used the same posters um, in their early days. Hitler was was put alongside Lenin as the great hero, and uh, they were great friends in the beginning. They came out of Darwinism. Darwinism believes in the survival of the fittest and the best to live and rule. They believe in Darwinism that those who uh, have come through different eras, meaning Stone Age right up through Agricultural Age, feudal system into uh, Industrial Age, post-Industrial and technological age, and now we're a service economy, they really believe that it's time that we should just die off like, like um, obsolete amoebas. And that is the system they want to bring the world in today. where only the ones who are fittest to survive. And that's them, of course, the scientific elite, the technocrats uh, who are involved with um, uh, technology and who will serve their, the the, the, met, the masters who run the money systems. They come through into a new, lovely depopulated system where they'll still have enough resources to last themselves another few thousand years. I mean, that's what it's about. George Bernard Shaw wrote about it. Now, he actually talked about getting a gas in the 1920s to kill off the un, the un, uh, unemployed workers at the time, on behalf of the Fabian Society. To understand it, I would go into Carl Quigley's *The Anglo-American Establishment* as a as a must-get book, where he shows you from the late 1800s how this group fomented a world war, and he was all for this group. He was the historian for them uh, to bring about. Uh, internationalism and world government and how from 1880 they were fomenting uh, through their own media, which they all owned, by the way, the Anglo-American establishment. And he he uh, he shows you how they were fomenting the, the propaganda against Germany uh, for 20 odd years, 30 years before World War I to get the public ready for war with Germany because they wanted a world war. And they had a plan for the whole world under the League of Nations. They created the League of Nations. They tell you its mandates. Um, it's a fascinating book. But if you read that, there's other books too that are companions to it. Now uh, there was a book co- called Foundations: Their Power and Influence, and that was put out by a man who also was involved with the Rees Commission 1953 uh, in the United States where they had to investigate the tax-free uh, exempt foundations, like Rockefeller, Ford, Carnegie, uh, Guggenheim, and all the other ones, because the, they couldn't understand in Congress why they seemed to be funding what seemed to be communist movements within the United States. And um, that's when, as I say, when they were told that, uh, that their job was to change the culture through education and uh, media and movies, by the way, so drastically in the West that they could blend the system with the Soviet system easily down the road, and that's exactly what's happened. So that's a must-be book as well, um, uh, Foundations, Their Power and Influence. I'd, al- I'd also read, um, you can read a lot of books on theosophy, If you don't start to believe in the corn as as Blavatsky goes along through her book, they're written in such a way to try to, especially young people, drag them into the belief of this system. So as long as you're aware that that's its intent. But Blavatsky gives a lot out of the bag about superior human beings, inferior human beings, and the purpose of theosophy uh, and the Lucis Trust, which again Rockefeller still funds today, um, is to blend what they called spirit and science together. Spirit and science together, which is a very interesting uh, subject because they're trying to do this using high technology, going to this world of what they call the spirit as well, through uh, technotronic uh, technology, weaponry, etc. Uh, w- yes, CERN one of them and uh, they can we have a guy here in Canada called Persinger he's a professor of Persinger he was born in the States he came to Laurentian University he was given a massive grant by the American uh, military establishment to find ways of manipulating the human brain with ELF waves and there's YouTubes uh, up on, on him in fact in his class at, uh, at uh, Laurentian where he puts a helmet on. It's called the Corbett, uh, or Corbon helmet. A carbon helmet. And uh, it gives you the same effects by stimulating the temporal lobe as LSD, or, or very strong marijuana. And the, the, the secret is so interesting is that it's not the high-powered ones that work on the brain. Our cells in our body work on very tiny, tiny electrical charges and impulses, very small. If it's too high a charge, you're trying to influence them. They won't work. It has to be on their low frequencies. But every cell in your body has, every type of tissue has its own frequency range. So they can target any type of tissue in your body with ELF-type waves, electromagnetic type. Well,
3: Do you think think that uh, one of my audience members wants to know if antidepressants was sort of the (laughs) catalyst in... Sort of the brave new world, the soma type of, 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 of aspect, and, and also how that is affecting. Well, I mean, we know that it's are there one molecule off of LSD mm-hmm. antidepressants, according to Anne Blake Tracy, and uh, she's quite an expert. How does that How does that play in with the, the, the sound modulation at the ultra high and ultra low frequency as well as <laughs> you know,
1: well they can work in because they can, some of these modern uh, antipsychotic drugs as they're calling them uh, can actually switch off receptors in the brain or switch them on uh, some of these receptors you can switch off permanently by using chemicals, these chemicals drugs and um, they're all today they're, they're mainly working on serotonin but they also reduce uh, other things in your brain as well. It's like, it's, it isn't as precise as they say, although it will fetch serotonin, it will also affect dopamine and things like that. Um, so uh, it's not so precise, but you're quite right. It can put you into a certain um, receptive mood, you might say, to even mild ELF stimuli. Um, now, since Persinger demonstrated this helmet back in the late 60s, by the way, <laughs> uh, this is old stuff. Uh, They can do this, they can do this from long range, from even cell phone towers. Uh, That came out in a Swedish, uh, Finnish study recently. A professor had found that uh, they can target a person within line of sight, within any tower for warfare purposes, uh, by recording his particular, we all have body frequencies. And it's like, and brain frequencies, like a fingerprint. Your individual fingerprint is your brain. And once they have that, they can, Target you in a crowd, you've been miles away in line of sight of that tower, and, and hit, hit you, literally hit you, uh, uh with a direct beam that will affect no one else in that crowd. And alter your behavior, give you a blackout, do whatever they want to do with you, reprogram you. Um, that's already been released, they can do that for, and nothing on that tower, by the way, has to be moved to find you in that 360 degrees radius. That was also interesting. So, I'm sure that they thought of all of this when they put the towers up, because what we're given on the the bottom level of science, not scientific magazines, anything to do with research is exactly that. It's a bottom level research. The searching was done years before. Searching was unused before to find how things worked. They still keep giving grants to those at the bottom who go through the same process, not knowing it was already done before and that 's why it's called research and i 've gone through the, the the documentation to do with, for instance, um, the uh, technocracy Inc, which you must look up. these are the guys who came out of the military CIA. Uh, Brandt was one of them, Brockman was another. They helped form the Grateful Dead to try and form the the drug era and the rock music era, the free love era. So here's guys in the top of the military getting sent out to bring that into American culture. And uh, they also wanted to use eventually um, not just LSD and so on to to affect the brains and, and the behavior of people, but literally to bring in uh, technotronic warfare-type devices as well, which would go worldwide. The same stuff that Brzezinski talked about in his book Between Two Ages, which, again, is a must-be. Must, you must get that book to see what he talks about. He talks about controlling whole continents with uh, pulsing waves of, tech, uh, of really ELF-type uh, wave. Bertrand Russell also talks about the same thing. He says the public can be controlled in the future and can be brought to decisions... Uh, without ever knowing how they're being brought to decisions and who's really doing it by by sciences which they'll never even hear of, never be told of. I think that's already been tested today. But pharma is a big part of it. It didn't start with with antidepressants. It started with uh, Valium. And it was, I think it was um, E.I. E- Lilly, they started it off. They knew back in the 40s and early 50s that with Valium, they tested it outside, in fact, in, a, in an Arabian country, first of all, and they found that it was highly addictive, uh, that, that the stuff, uh, laid itself down in the marrow of the long bones for up to a period of five years, it would leach out and you'd have withdrawals for up to five years on it. And yet for 40 years, the, the drug industry, when they brought it into America and were throwing it around like, like candy, uh, They said that, oh, it's all psychological addiction. There was no physical addiction whatsoever, even though uh, everybody who worked in emergency rooms could see the people coming through withdrawal and going into physical convulsions with it. Uh, That was the start of it, was the Valium drugs. Now, today, because Valium got such a bad rap, because folks started to understand what it was doing to them, uh, they have a whole bunch of drugs coming out of Valium, but they've renamed them all so that you don't think it's Valium. You know, you have... You have a whole bunch of uh, drugs that that really are still valium out there, highly addictive. And remember too that Bertrand Russell and um, you also had the brother of Aldo Huxley, had Julian Huxley, who worked to the United Nations um, on UNESCO to create the world education supply for the children um, or system for the children. He, they both said that they would use pharma. Pharma would start to take a bigger and bigger role and managing the minds of people, uh, Aldo Huxley, the brother, and remember, these guys were all descended too. They're all relatives of Darwin, by the way, um, who wrote Brave, Brave New World was Aldo Huxley. He said that um, Pharma will, will have a big, big part to play in all of this. He says people are unhappy anyway, he really. He says most people are unhappy. What he doesn't mention is he and his elite boys make sure you're, you're kept in a state of fear with constant change and crisis and all the rest of it. So their idea was to, to make it so unbearable to live in a system where you've got threat after threat and fear after fear that people will turn uh, for some relief, mental relief, and then they'll all be on drugs. Uh, and,
3: the, uh, what was the name of that Zimski book again? Uh, Between Two Ages.
1: Between Two Ages.
3: I've got another question here from the audience. Hi, this is a pretty shallow.
4: Uh-huh. Um, but who who do you think is going to be the next American president? Obama, or do you think if if Ron Paul became president, that might
1: make a difference? I, myself, am so jaded with politics. I've watched the cons for so long. Um, And I also know that I don't care. If if a person could be parachuted from heaven uh, to become president, they'd kill him. These characters who've run this world for so long, this is from World War I, remember, t- to the present, this new system, uh, are utterly ruthless. They'll stop at nothing to get their agenda through. They will never say, okay, I guess the game's up, we'll just go home. That won't happen. And so uh, one man can't change this system. Uh, number one, it's the same, in Britain. Britain proved this, in fact, with their boys, they placed their, their, their own agents from the Royal Institute of International Affairs and CFR in all the top positions for life, basically, over the military, the Navy, um, um, all the major departments of trade, etc. And if these guys give you no cooperation whatsoever, I don't care what you try to do, uh, they'll ignore you. It just doesn't work like that. And a president, by the way, t- in today's system, and in- government today, uh, he-, he can't even learn everybody underneath him in all the departments, at the top of the departments. There are so many departments, he had never even, by the time he's leaving his term, he hasn't even learned half their names. Never mind pretending he run the country. The advisors behind him are more important. These guys know what their job is. And they know the agenda, the world agenda. So, so I don't see one person coming. You'd literally need to, to, to have the military surround him at all times. No, and I'm not kidding about that. Because we're up, we're up against people who've planned for over a hundred years and have worked over a hundred years to bring this in. They're dedicated. They're fanatical. And, uh, they're not going to step aside because they think someone's going to change their way and, and just go home and, and start knitting or something, the, the, these guys are ruthless. Well,
3: so we got one time for one more question, and then we're going to have to wrap this up again. We really appreciate you doing this for us. Yeah, thank you
0: for touching base, Alan. Um,
2: my question is twofold. One, I'm wondering what your take is on Denver International Airport, mm-hmm. and also I heard you touch earlier on CERN Laboratories and the Hadrian Collider. I was wondering also, I didn't hear um, specifically what you're saying with the Hadrian. Uh, collider,
1: if it's, pronouncing it wrong. it's all tied in, I know the Denver International Airport, I've seen so many of the, of the, the photographs from inside there, so what you're, you're seeing there is a story when you follow, the, follow all the pictures, right down to you all these international children, multicultural, the whole bit, happy, you've got other children in coffins, I noticed, <laughs> as well, and uh, 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 Freemasonic symbols everywhere. Um, it's like the old Masonic temples When you walk through some of the buildings in fact Which are temples And even some that are made for the public to walk through uh, You're actually walking through a ritual Walking through it is actually a ritual That's what they'll tell you And uh, the symbols above you uh, All form pictures and part of the story And, you, and you're walking through a, a living ritual as you go through if you understand everything you're seeing there and really think about it, you, you'll understand what they're telling you through the whole story, the picture line book that you're walking through of to do with the future. And it's mainly children. They outdo the adults. They're telling you too, by the way, that this is part of the new man, the children, the new generation who are th- so indoctrinated they will go along with it all. They'll be happy. That's what they're telling you. But there's no there's no happy adults anywhere to be seen with smiles anywhere they're gone. Now I've no doubt at all the built underground bases are quite right. The Rand Corporation was the first one to come out back in or oh, years ago uh, in the 60s. They came out with their big boring machine that could go through any kind of rock 24 hours per day or night at five miles per hour at that time. Uh, it was in the Canadian papers here back in the the early 90s they were using those same machines to create an underground tunnel from Pigeon Lake uh, in British Columbia uh, all the way under the sea to come out inside Russia next to another lake by the way that was mainstream major newspapers here with with the guy who designed the tunnel and so on uh, as the author Uh, and, and then I never heard any more about it, I presume they've done it um, they have underground uh, links between certain cities already, uh, with little, little advanced little tube uh, train things that whizz through them. Um, interesting to, to me, in fact, Highway 69, which is designated to be the new highway for NAFTA, they built a new one. A new Highway 69 passes me quite c- close. As we're demolishing the old roads um, next to it, they found an underground bunker made in World War II. That could it was meant to sustain uh, hundreds of people, I guess VIPs, from up to up to a hundred years or more. They've always the, the elite have always been at this kind of game to make them make sure that they can survive through anything at any time whatsoever. Uh, the the Hadron Collider. And things like that it 's not the only one there 's one here near me at Coniston, and that 's supposed to also be the world 's largest underground it 's underground. You can drive through Coniston and you won 't see an entrance to the underground place, even though the television will occasionally show you a picture from inside it <laughs> Where you get into it, i, I 've no idea i 've never seen a photograph i 've never seen a, a, an entrance you should say when I drive around that place, so the, probably the entrances are miles away to get into that underground one, however. They're talking about uh, splitting things down to, to tiny quarks and and so on, uh, things smaller than than atoms, and partly for weaponry purposes, no doubt whatsoever. Uh, partly for for propulsion for high tech um, uh, future NASA um, spaceships and so on, because if you can use that and and, and use matter. Break things down into quarks and, and eject that at high speed from any nozzle. You'll go. You're going to go forward at an awful, awful pace. But first and foremost, everything is always used for weapons purposes, and and, and of many offshoots outside of that as well. But regardless, whenever they, they give us something to even know about technically as obsolete, they've got something way beyond that on the go mm-hmm. that works. And I've found this over and over and over again just in my life. Uh, I'll give you a, a good example. I mean, the gene itself, the human gene supposedly, wasn't discovered until around the, the, the late 70s. Or, uh, and Watson himself, by the way, it's, um, uh, Watson has was a very interesting history of relatives, if you go into who, who they are. <clears throat> Uh, but he came up with the double helix for the gene, and supposedly then they could, with the electron microscope they could actually see the genes, etc. And before that, there were just a theory that they existed. But I was reading a book by one of the, the most famous mathematicians. It was his own biography, and his name was Rutherford, and he wrote a book about 1920. And he said, and this is the guy who went to the pyramids in Egypt, he was sent over by the Royal Society to take the exact measurements and so on. And uh, he said, since then I've been employed by uh, the Royal Society, he says, and uh, as a mathematician working on genes. Now, you wouldn't need a scientist who, who was only a mathematician to work on genes if you couldn't see them. There'd be no point so obviously they could they could see the human genes back in his day in the 1920s. What we are given in the mainstream is, is, is mainly lies. There. Whenever you see they're working on something and one day they hope to blah blah blah, uh, that they're way way beyond it. They always keep us living in a past when it comes to any kind of science. Always on every every level, every level. Well,
3: well Alan, we want to. Thank you again for joining us tonight. I know that you uh, are a busy man, and uh, again, I really appreciate it. And I know my audience really appreciate it. Welcome to the Grand on Mall.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's been enjoyable. Yeah,
3: Mister. Now, uh, uh, is there is there a place to to, uh, to donate just to your to you so that you can keep doing what you?
1: Yeah, you can go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and you'll see PayPal, uh, there. PayPal, plus an address. You can actually email cash if you want, Uh, not email, send cash regular post if you want to, or personal check. Or you can send uh, an international postal money order too from the post office. Uh, An address is there to to post it. But remember, see, the more you know, some people don't get crippled by knowledge. Uh, Knowledge empowers you. And when you see the cons and tricks that these guys have pulled to ensure that they stay in power and try to pull off their dream, their dream, which is our nightmare, um, the more knowledge you you have, the more ammunition you have to fight with, and you can go and challenge them, and um, you can leave them speechless. And uh, that is power. Knowledge is power. And you are fighting evil, and it's your duty to fight evil. You have no option. You have no option. And these characters must be exposed for who they are. And we must get into a system where the public have a say in their own destiny for a change. That's what it's all about.
3: Um, how's your dog?
1: Oh, Hamish is just great. He's, he's healthy and uh, strong. And uh, he doesn't eat that awful dog food that kills him from China. <laughs> Sorry. He's pretty fit and healthy, yeah. Well, how
3: about you? Are you eating food for China? Are you fit and healthy?
1: I try to get the better stuff if I can, but to be honest with you, if I was to buy stuff out of grocery stores... Remember, Canada was the test bed for GMO food, and we didn't know we'd been tested for it for over 10 years when the government made a secret deal with Monsanto to use us as guinea pigs. We didn't know that in Canada until it broke out from Britain. Uh, when Tony Blair was trying to pass it and he says, well, the Canadians are getting sicker on it. And we said, well, what's the talk? About? What are they talking about? Then they had to disclose it. The government made a secret deal. This is mainstream paper. Your elected government made a secret deal with Monsanto to test Canadians with GMO vegetables and stuff, so, so on, without the knowledge, by using the national health system to, to follow our health as it goes down the tubes. And we'd already been on it for 10 years. 10 years without knowing. Yeah. So I try to avoid as much of that stuff as I can. They will not label stuff, of course. And luckily, around here, there are some independent small farmers left. Um, and there are some people who, who have collected seed for themselves rather than uh, take the GMO stuff, which is pretty deadly.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, I. Soul, appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, I hope that you continue to do what you're doing, and I hope that you continue to teach and wake up uh, America and Canada and everywhere else. Once again, we thank Alan Watt.
1: And thank you, too, guys.
3: All right, sir. I, I bid you a good night, and I'll be in touch.
1: Yep, uh, and I'll look forward to hearing from you again. All right. Bye now.
0: Thank you very much, sir. Good night. Bye.